Well, we're back. We're alive. We didn't die. Uh, <laughs> we are the absolute stereotype of uh, millennials. Uh, we are we're lazy and can't keep to a schedule to save our lives. But we're back. We're back. We are your favorite fortnightly faith-based fun fest known as cross training. Are we though? I mean, because I mean, we we did screw up are and we, not. Are we what? I said a lot of things. Which part do you disagree yeah. with? Are we faithful? Because we're not. Because we didn't. Post last rotation depends on our definition of faithful, I suppose. We are faithful in that we want to make sure we don't just release an episode. <laughs> Please, yeah, because we're gonna make it up to you, listeners elect. We got a juicy one for you today. <laughs> so, welcome to Cross Training, the podcast where we look at faith and practice through biblical lens. I'm Matthew Thompson, and I'm Tanner Higgins. Who are you? I am John Duncan. You're not Mason Simmons. I'm not Mason Simmons, no. Yeah, no, you don't even I'm know a, Mason I'm a Simmons. Guy. No, yeah. I sure don't. Yeah. I was gonna make a like a dub on myself. I was gonna be like, yeah, I'm just another moron. But then I didn't know Mason. I don't want to call him a moron. That's that's not. Fair. Well, you're amongst morons though. Right. Uh, I mean, I, I didn't mean to agree with that so readily, but yeah, sure. Yep. Sure. If yep. you're gonna claim yep. it, I'm not gonna disagree. <laughs> I've known yeah, you, you long enough. It. Yeah. Yeah. So basically, uh, one thing we wanted to do, and I think we want to dive into this uh, next uh, season because this season's kind of wrapping to a close. When it gets a couple more episodes in is one thing we wanted to do is that we wanted to get people on that are everyday people. I mean, we would love to have educated people. I mean, John, you're, you know, somewhat educated. You know, you're a nurse or whatever. Bigger uh, quotes around that. Yeah. Educated. Educated. Word. Yeah, bigger. But, like, I think the purpose that we loved about talking about certain topics and certain things and talking about Scripture is that we get to talk to anybody and everybody. Because one of the things that, like, a th- Theology, with air quotes, is the study of God. So a theologian should be someone that is striving to know God through Scripture mm. or through understanding who He is. So I think all of us as, as Christians, hopefully that everyone's a Christian. If you're not, you know, there's a book called The Bible. You can, uh, you know, read that and it can show you a good good way to Jesus, you know. <laughs> but I think that's one thing that I think is, is fantastic that we need to start striving to do. And one thing that we want to do in the next season is just to get everyday people that love Jesus and want to talk about things of God. Mm-hmm. So, I mean, you know, if we want to get big old big wigs have PhDs and, you know, theology, MDivs and whatever, that's awesome. But yet everyday average Christians, I think is probably the most encouraging conversations to have. Mm-hmm. Yeah. yeah. Our beginning episodes in season one, we focused a lot on unity and told ourselves that that was going to be like the theme of that season. But in reality, like, let's just throw themes out the window because we, we just want to talk about scripture. We want to talk about theology, that kind of stuff just in general. But I think there is a lot to be said about how unity should exist as a concept within the church, capital C church. Uh, we should be able to have like these small disagreements uh, within our theological beliefs and within our philosophical beliefs and still be able to commune under the single banner that is God. Yes. And that's something that I hope that we can accomplish through conversations with, like you said, normal people that we might not completely agree with. I mean, for one, I don't want to meet someone that I agree with completely. That's going to be the most boring conversation on earth. Yeah, he's probably wrong. Yeah, (laughs) I'm always right. It's strange. We are millennials, right? I'm always right. (laughs) But I hate that opinion when you say it. Yeah, I hate mirrors. They're the worst. (laughs) Yeah. So, John, you're, you're an individual that, You've got a lot of beliefs. And yeah. that and I say that as if like it's just kind of an offhanded doesn't mean anything sort of comment, but I think there's a lot of substance to that phrase you have a lot of beliefs because I think mm-hmm. there's a there's a lot of people out there uh, within the church, again capital C church, and maybe specifically American church because I can only speak for that one obviously. Um, we like to think that we're all under this Christian umbrella, 
that comes down with walls and everyone is in that umbrella. Like we're all reading the same Bible, right? So we should all have the same beliefs. And that's why you mm-hmm. get people falling in this trap of going like, oh, I'm a free will Baptist. So those church cross people over there are wrong. Oh, I'm church cross. So church God is wrong. Like there are these, like, yeah. you're clearly the one that, that is right. And everyone around you that believes in the same things that you believe are also right. So everyone's got to believe in the same thing. Correct. Mm-hmm. By no means to quote my boy, Paul. So this is a conversation that I think is going to be deeply rooted in this concept of being able to talk about things that we might not see completely eye to eye on, but still relishing the fact that we, we commune under, again, that single banner of God. Mm-hmm. Kind of the, the focus of this conversation anyways is that, you know, I think uh, philosophy and theology is kind of one of those things that intertwined with Christian thinking oh, yeah. and Christian uh, excessive thinking in the sense of like, let's just think about things of God. And so... John, real quick, just give a, a just a, a brief synopsis of kind of like where have you landed in, in your walk with faith of like how did you progressively get to the point where you are today in your Christian faith, in your Christian walk with Jesus? Sure. Um, so I grew up in, I'm going to, this is going to sound like, you know, your youth group two-minute testimony, right? I grew up in a Christian home. I really did. My parents were fantastic. Uh, they took a ton of uh, intent um, and a lot of uh, deliberate decision making in uh, making me the man that I am today um, against my uh, fallen flesh. <laughs> so um, they they worked real hard. Um, I was in church all the time. I grew up well. Um, I grew up very very blessed. Um, that being said, you know I, I think that, and, and this is something that I see in a lot of Christians today that like I'm kind of encouraged by in a way because it, it helped to uh, it helped to form me. Um, this there's this hot button word. Um, deconstruction yeah. that, that happens a lot with Christianity, especially with our age group of the millennial cut, right? Um, especially in Gen Z, but like, you know, we, we see it a lot in the millennial cut, this deconstruction. Like, I grew up believing this, and now I'm deconstructing it. And, and most of the time, that's a bad word because it is. It leads to a bad thing, right? It's you incorporating, uh, you know, societal uh, affirmations or societal trends into your Christian beliefs, um, and you're not using an objective standard. You're using the societal one, and you know, uh, it's very, you know, I, I've used the word societal like six times, but you, you get what I mean, right? Mm-hmm. That deconstruction can be a, a terrible thing. Um, for me, I got to a point between that 18 and 24 range, right, um, where a lot of Christians find themselves grappling with very difficult things, very difficult observations that challenge truths that they've held their entire lives. I got to a really similar point. Um, I got into college, and all I'm hearing about is evolution, right, from any of my science classes. Uh, I'm talking with people, and all I'm hearing is, well, I mean, I don't know about that God stuff, man. I just got to I just gotta think about it for a little while. And I'm like, man, you know what? Maybe I'm there too. Um, am I believing this because I'm regurgitating the things that I grew up hearing, which were good things, which mm-hmm. were necessary things, and I thank God for them every day. But now that I'm a Christian, right? <laughs> but during that time, and, and I, I say that kind of tentatively too, I don't know that I ever wasn't a Christian, but I grappled heavily with at least agnosticism and definitely, I think, bordering on atheism to an extent. You know, was this something that I grew up believing because I heard it a bunch? Is this a fairy tale? Is this the equivalent of, you know, just a good old story that makes me a better person? You know, is this, is this yeah. Exactly, yeah. And I, I didn't have any terminology for that yet. I didn't have any study in any of that yet. And frankly, I didn't even have any passion for it yet. I was just made deeply uncomfortable by the things I was seeing that I couldn't reconcile with what I held as my worldview. And it's because I never thought about it. That's the bottom line. The bottom line is I, I read it or I heard it and I agreed with it because that was the party line at the time. And that could just as easily have been 
a bad teaching. And so as I recognize that, I'm like, man, what if this is a bad teaching then? If all I'm ever doing is just agreeing with this and I haven't given it any thought, I can't, in you know, philosophical terms, right, positively affirm that, right? You can agree with something without positively affirming it. Um, and that, that, that gets me into philosophy. And so let me answer your question here real quick. Um, I've kind of talked about where I got, uh, where I came from. As I'm thinking about these things, I'm thinking, why do I believe what I believe? Is it based on, obviously, like I said, what I've heard? Or is this actually going to come from some other form of truth? Mm -hmm. Is there another way that I can view this um, where it's false? Or is there another way I can view my environment where I see that these things that I grew up, these Christian uh, truths are true? And by the grace of God, I think, uh, or I, I know certainly, by the grace of God, you know, as I interpreted my environment, as I saw... Uh, the things around me, the the Christian worldview, uh, the Christian lens was the only rational, and I use that word really deliberately, the only rational, the only logical, uh, the only substantial explanation for the environment I found myself in. It explained why uh, we struggle as a as a mankind. Uh, we struggle uh, anthropologically. Just our human history has has struggled with with morality. Um, with uh, the idea of transcendence, um, with the idea of meaning. Uh, and of course, all of these things, uh, if you've studied philosophy before, you know that some of those are kind of some hot button definition mm. words. So, uh, so. And that's one thing like I think that the Christian, and I say big church and little church, have kind of like dropped the ball on. Because a lot of I think that if you are truly trying to find the truth and you're reading scripture and you're dealing with these questions, such as who am I? Who right. is God? You know, what is the, the, the problem of evil? How do we deal with this? And I think the Christians have sometimes, and I say the, the Christian church, has somewhat missed the mark by this because they're not having the conversations. They say, well, you just got to, you know, believe it and without any question, have blind faith in that. And and, and in my opinion, I think that we, we do a disservice to these Christians that are deconstructing or they having the conversations and are trying to evaluate is this a family religion or is this the truth you know and so I think that this is I think this conversation of, of philosophy and, and theology mixed together we shouldn't be as scared of it of these hard questions exactly these questions that we have and a lot of with and, and to be honest I've dealt with that same type of deconstructing but yet I also have that confirm, confirm, confirmation bias behind that is that scripture is affirming my bias behind the truth and I'm seeing my worldview. Right. And I like I, I was kind of in the same boat with you, but yeah, I never did dive into the agnostic or atheistic side. Right. I mean, I kind of still affirmed it, but yeah, I looked at scripture and I was like, okay, where's the logic behind the truth here? Right. You know, yeah. I got to reevaluate. It's a theologic issue. Yeah. Mine was a philosophy. Uh, uh, Philosophic. Philosophic. There's the word, right? Yeah, it's 3 a.m. for me right now. Goodness. Uh, so um, mine was a philosophic grapple. And or an apologetic grapple, mm -hmm. um, and I can explain those terms here in a few minutes. But like, basically, uh, I had to count, and, and this was my temptation. I'm not saying that this is what it takes in order to, uh, you know, think about your faith uh, well. Certainly not. This is my temptation. This is my struggle, and this is my sin. My sin was that I was. I kept thinking, and I couldn't get out of my head. What if I didn't have a Bible? What if I just threw it away? What if Scripture was full of errors? What if the book sucked? Right. That's sin, obviously, right? I mean, it's a number one seller. How can you say it sucked? I mean, it's, it's <laughs> no, the no, best book in the world. No, but, but it, I, there was that year the Fifty Shades of Grey took it over. Right, right, well, yeah, for yeah. a short amount of time, yeah, but it popped back to the top. <laughs> no, but I, I had to say, you know, if, if I didn't believe a word that this book said, would I still get to the same conclusion, right? And I absolutely did. And I, I think that that's by God's grace. 
um, but through things that I observe, through thinking of how does my environment work? How do I reconcile my environment with what I think it should be? Mm-hmm. Um, and that really gets me to, um, I, I guess, what you guys hopefully want me to talk about. Today. Yeah, what's what we're all going to talk about. Uh, but philosophy, let me define what philosophy is, because that's kind of a scary term. And Matthew's going to talk about here in a second of like Paul's implications behind this. Is that philosophy, just like theology is the study of God, philosophy, by definition, is the love of wisdom. Okay, so by that definition, I mean, I think a lot of Christians, and one reason why we're having this conversation is that a lot of Christians are scared of the word philosophy. Like you, you, you're going to study Plato and and Epicurean and Diogenes and all these weird uh, people that have thoughts, and it's like, well, that's just dangerous. Don't you trash my boy Diogenes? That dude was the dude. He was awesome, you know, (laughs) living with the dogs and and sleeping in pots, you know. I mean, pretty cool dude. But the 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 love of wisdom, okay, and I think especially as a Christian, does not need to deny that love. Because if God is wisdom, if God is wise, we need to seek for wise counsel. And so I, I got two scriptures real quick I want to read, and then I'm going to let Matthew talk about a little bit about the implications of that. I mean, we shouldn't hate wisdom at all. The Proverbs chapter 4, verse 6 is, Don't turn back on wisdom. She will protect you. Proverbs 7, verse 4, Love wisdom like a sister. Make her a beloved member of your family. So wisdom, God encourages wisdom all throughout Scripture, mm-hmm. you, especially in Proverbs. I mean, it's just chock full with like, seek wisdom, seek guidance. Don't just go by your, the winds of your emotions or by, by things like that. Yeah. Love wisdom. So when we talk about philosophy, this should not be something that turns us off, that we need to be asking some of these questions, even though... To be honest, by their the way they're worded, they're very simple questions, but they they dig deep into the hard uh, reality of our lives. So, Matthew, how do you, how, how do we take that concept of love, wisdom to the reality of Scripture and to the reality of our lives? And then we'll get into the the deep stuff here in a minute. Yeah, well, talking about that that buzzword philosophy, philosophical issues, that that sort of thing. I guess some people might be thinking, like, what do we mean by that? Like, are, are we really about to be going, like, full Greek thinker over here? Not necessarily. I got but, my toga. But one thing that I've kind of been uh, playing with here for a while is, like, these certain things that we are taught from birth, or at least I was kind of, like, almost subconsciously, uh, one could say, that you're supposed to be scared of these certain things that are out there in the world. Like there's, there are things out there that are just dangerous. And if you think about them too hard, it could rock your faith and you shouldn't think about it. And John, you, you were touching on like the dangers of believing in that because then when you're exposed to them, your, your foundation is built on sand Yeah, and it will be washed away. Absolutely. If only there was some scripture that talked about that. If only, (laughs) but and I think we've touched on that before, so I'm not going to go too in-depth on, like, the double-edged sword that is indoctrination from birth mm. uh, when you're just taught to believe it and not given a why or a mm. how. Like, yeah. you're a Christian, so you believe it, the yeah. end. Mm. Um, so, but I'm, I won't beat that dead horse because we've, we've had episodes on that. So I think it's uh, – this train of thought that I'm on currently was birthed with the Christian worldview meetings that we've uh, been to. There have oh, been yeah, two yeah, so yeah. far. Uh, because there's this concept that, that we're tackling in those meetings, and it's excellent stuff. I'm loving loving those meetings and what I'm learning, what I'm kind of chewing on mentally through it. Uh, we're talking about worldviews that I, uh, that exist out there in the secular world. Like, what does the non-Christian individual like piece together as a way to look at the world that, that answers all of the the problems of the world, that has all the answers to to the questions of existence? Like, why are we here? Why is there a struggle in the world? Like all that good stuff, and 
one thing that I noticed, and this was discussed in the meeting, like I'm not sitting here saying like, oh, I'm poking holes in this meeting. This is something that, that was discussed that I really liked. It's this idea that these worldviews aren't like wrong. Mm-hmm. They're just not the truth. They're not complete. Yeah, because yeah. you're going to accidentally hit the bullseye every once in a while if you're just blind firing dogs. A broken clock is right twice a day. Exactly. So all these worldviews, like they have stuff in there that as Christians we should look at and be like, oh, yeah, we should strive for that. Oh, yeah, we should strive. Yeah, that's correct. But then they inevitably go off course eventually because it is rooted in the flesh. But I think Christians, for the most part, have looked at these uh, secular worldviews, like uh, liberal liberalism is a, a big one, Um and insert literally any other one, other one uh, here. We look at those and think that we're not allowed to agree with any of it because mm-hmm. that, that that's fallen. It's of the world. We can only believe in in our Christian scriptures and whatnot. But like, it, just because it is a secular worldview doesn't mean you shove it all away because there's some good stuff in there. You just need to recognize the reason that they managed to come up with something good. Yeah, it might have been on accident on their part, but there is biblical truth there that you don't need to ignore. I think Adam Holloway, which is the guy that's kind of Adam Holloway and Ronnie Lee, uh, which we've had both of them on the podcast before. <clears throat> Adam made a comment. It's like you know you cannot take a worldview and completely remove a Christian worldview from it. Like mm-hmm. an atheistic worldview, they're cherry picking and p- taking bits and pieces out of a Christian worldview to make it their own. There are realities of the truth behind some of these secular worldviews. And I think that some of these things we shouldn't be scared of and talking about it. It's like how, okay, we are technically all reformers here, but we should, you know, reform what needs to be reformed and conserve what needs to be conserved. I think we talked about that in a previous podcast. So, I mean, that's that's basically what we're at here. You know, I mean, so some of these questions we're not going to solve because men have been talking to, talking about these questions since yeah, I would say the very beginning for millennia. Yeah. yeah, so so I think these questions have been tackled through you know ancient history right. to modern uh, uh, history too. So I mean, let's let's tackle some of this stuff because I mean I've, sure. I'm I'm, in, I'm I'm ready to dive in. Because yep. I mean I said I said all of that to set up what my answer to your original question was, which yeah, like, which Tanner you... totally glossed over. He was like, yeah, well I'll take an L on that. We'll, we'll <laughs> oh, that it's fine. <laughs> but take, taking it to scripture because it's easy for the Christian to look at like philosophy. Because what do you think of when you think of philosophy? You think of like the the marble busts of dudes from back in the day in in, in Greek history. Or if you've seen Bill and Ted's Excellent Adventure, you think of Keanu Reeves <laughs> going, "Whoa, dude, it's Socrates!" That Socrates. Yeah. Have you ever wow. seen that movie? No, no. Fantastic. But now Bill I'm and Ted, man. Now I'm pretty intrigued because that's a, a hilarious. Keanu Reeves is my hero. Listen, do it. Yeah. My spirit animal. That's great. But anyhow. Uh, we think of it as this non-Christian concept that therefore we must ignore because it is mm. not the truth. So who cares? But not only is that relevant to Christianity, it's in the Bible. Like, how, is, how does it make you feel, dear listener elect, when I say that Paul agreed with Plato in biblical canon? <gasps> dun, dun. Shock. Let me hit you with uh, 1 Corinthians chapter 7, verse 31. It says... And those who deal with the world as though they had no dealings with it, for the present form of this world is passing away. He just used, uh, what, what's the term, Platonism, Platoism, whatever. I didn't write it down well enough. I think it's Platonism. Uh, but Plato, he, I mean, obviously you could spend your whole life uh, studying the philosophical works of Plato because that was like his entire thing. So I'm not going to waste time trying to boil it down to the sound bites. But an element of Plato's philosophy is this idea that ideas are more real than the world around you. Like, Mm. the world is all about ideas. And he used the term forms to reference 
those ideas because just using the word idea wasn't heavy enough. Like you had to give it something else. So he kind of coined the term forms to refer to ideas as these concepts that are more real than reality. Paul didn't say forms on accident, and that does come from the Greek term that forms come from. Like, that is a direct translation. That's one of the few times that Greek and English really get along there. So that's not something that's lost in translation. He's using Plato's words to affirm Christ. Like, that. Th this is stuff that, as you're reading in Scripture, you could just gloss over that and never notice it. And that's not an isolated incident. Right. Paul is a big fan of using, like, legitimate arguments um, within his ministry like for instance here's a here's a good chunk of scripture this is my main thing that i want to talk about here uh well in this segment of this episode mm -hmm. uh first corinthians chapter 15 verses 12 through 22 it's basically a philosophical uh case for christ uh, let me start out here it says now if christ is proclaimed as raised from the dead how can some of you say that there's no resurrection of the dead but if there is no resurrection of the dead, then not even Christ has been raised. And if Christ has not been raised, then our preaching is in vain and your faith is in vain. We are even found to be misrepresenting God because we testified about God that he raised Christ, whom he did not raise if it is true that the dead are not raised. For if the dead are not raised, not even Christ has been raised. And if Christ has not been raised, your faith is futile and you are still in your sins. Then those who have fallen asleep in Christ have perished. If in Christ we have hope in this life only, we are of all people most to be pitied. But in fact, Christ has been raised from the dead, the firstfruits of those who have fallen asleep. For as by a man came death, by a man has come also the resurrection of the dead. For as in Adam all die, so also in Christ shall all be made alive. So the case to be made there is the fact that Paul just used philosophical argument techniques to make a case for Christ. This is how, like good old yeah. Socrates and Plato, <laughs> made arguments for their ways of thinking. They presented logical arguments yep. that no one could argue with. Because yeah. if you, if logically you win, then you are correct. That yeah. is how the right. great thinkers of that time work. So here you have Paul going, all right, bud, I'll play by your rules. <laughs> yeah, exactly. That is a philosophical take he gets in their court. for Christ. He gets in their court. Because, I mean, th th these, these thinkers of Socrates and Plato and stuff like that, I mean, these why would we not want to get in their court and get on their terms like, okay, if you want to play ball, buddy, let's play ball. Yeah. And so he, he brings a good logical explanation of the resurrection. And so I think that's, that's, fan, that's a fantastic way of, and I think us as Christians, we need to get in that court too and not mm -hmm. be scared of these conversations of, of logic reasoning and, and stuff like that. Yeah. yeah, We have the capital T <clears throat> truth on our side. Like yeah. we should have no fear. They exactly. should be the ones that are scared. Be like, hey, bud, I'm about to hijack the way you think mm -hmm. about life and show you where the areas that you're wrong. Right. So seeing that Paul operated on that wavelength through most of the New Testament outside of like letters to actual churches, like the way that he ministered, he was in that area. He was in Greece. Like that is how people thought. There are multiple areas within scripture where it just straight up says like, and Paul came up to some Epicureans and, and debated them mm -hmm. and won because he's freaking Paul and he has the truth on his side. <laughs> like, yeah. Yeah. That we yeah. shouldn't be fearing these concepts that aren't explicitly Christian. Alienation is going to do nothing for the good news. Right. We have to be able to come on their court and dunk. Because we have the truth. Like, it's simple yeah. as that. So here we're saying, and I think I want to ask this question, and I would, I would hope that you guys would answer, and I think I know the answer. <clears throat> but do you think that philosophy spices up and gives a little bit more flavor to theology? I have, a, I, I have an answer for you. Okay, give All me right. an answer. I think it's necessary. I don't think it's a it, – it's, um, it, it's – so my answer to your question is yes – um, but it's yes and, like yes squared. 
Um, yeah. <laughs> not only does it spice up, you know, our theological belief or our framework that we use to operate with Christianity, I think it's totally necessary in order to do it. I used to kind of take a passive train of thought on that, like, well, as long as you believe the right things, you know, we can we can all get along. But I, I'm getting, and maybe this is just where I'm struggling right now and where my thinking is going to be reformed again, but I'm starting to think that, like, this is this is necessary in order to believe. I think so, too. In, I agree in with Christianity. you. And, and in order, at least in order to articulate it well enough to, uh, to rebut against current worldviews. Um, I think that philosophy and logic and good trains of thought and being well-reasoned, uh, that's maybe the more acceptable term or the quicker term is being well-reasoned. That's, I think, what we're all really getting at here. Um, if you can be well-reasoned in your thinking and have uh, what's been referred to by a lot of people here as systematic theology or systematic philosophy. And that's what you just referenced uh, in Paul's letter to Corinth there in chapter 15. It's like he says this, and if this is not true, then this happens. And if that's not true, then this happens. And if that's not true, then so on and so forth, right? It's a train of thought. But it's what we mean by that is that it is systematic. And so if we think systematically about the things that we believe and we choose to go ahead and, hey, let's follow this out to its conclusion. If I believe this, what does it mean? Right? That's the question that we all need to come back to is like, if I really believe this, then what does it mean about my environment? Conversely, if this is what my environment says, which is, again, to get back to where I came from, if this is what my environment is and if this is what I observe on a daily basis, if this is how I'm challenged, if this is what I'm tempted with, then what does that mean? Mm-hmm. Right. So I'm, I didn't even start from scripture and I still got there. Like, that's the thing. That's why God is so good. And that's why Romans chapter one and two are really important about how God makes himself evident. He makes himself clear by his nature. People think that that just means, man, we're all amazed when we look up at the stars. And that's true. But like, that's true about our social interactions. That's true about the way that we're raised, about the ways that we're challenged as humans, about the ways that we're tempted, about the ways that we fail. That all reveals that there's a greater thing at work. Yeah. And being well-reasoned in how you articulate those things, I think is just about necessary (laughs) in order to be uh, an evangelistic Christian. I think you can affirm and believe the things in the Bible on good faith and never talk about it and technically be a Christian, right? Exactly. But that's where Paul splits the difference in between consuming milk and consuming meat. Mm. I love that verse. Mm. (laughs) Speak my language now, son. (laughs) See, and that's one thing, like, we, we inadvertently do philosophical thought without Absolutely. it. Because everyone like, does it, but not yes. everyone exercises that deliberately. So they don't know that they're yeah. doing it. So sometimes they do it wrong. It's like a child playing with a loaded gun. You can technically move the trigger, right? But it doesn't mean that you're going to do a good thing with it or a safe thing with it by any means. I mean, this can all be, like you said, to open with, and that's why we've been cautioned against it. Very dangerous, but it's very powerful in the right hands. Okay, not, not my gun analogy is off now because I'm not saying we should go kill people. Um, what I'm saying is like... <laughs> not a pacifist like me. That, right, no, I'm not quite a pacifist like Tanner. No, but um, I think that philosophy in and of itself is powerful and to be used, and it's necessary. I mean, Jesus used philosophy <laughs> mm-hmm. for crying out loud. I mean, that's what every book of the Old Testament, every book of the New Testament, you find systematic train of thought, and that's what we're getting at here. Um, I liked your definition of philosophy. I had another one to add to. Um, as I've been reading and stuff, uh, you know, uh, and a disclaimer here, John's going to have probably lots of uh, weird back pocket uh, possible heretic opinions. I'm going to disclaim those, okay? <laughs> I'm going to let you know. Um, most of what I have to say today is hopefully just going to be uh, regurgitation from other good Christian men. Um, I love reading, I love listening, and I love repeating those things. So I'm probably not going to come off with anything new here, all right? What I would think of when I think of philosophy is not just what you said about the love of wisdom 
forth the love of knowledge or the love of figuring things out. I think at a baser level, it's philosophy for what it is. It's a study of the knowledge behind or the nature of what we see. So it's the, the study of our experience. It's a study of the nature of our knowledge. It's a study of the nature of our uh, experiences. Yeah. Um, did I say experiences twice? Yes, but okay. it's okay. All right, so I didn't we have double to say experiences. It twice. Right, yeah, you, for sure. You can cut that out, it's fine. So, um, <laughs> everything's raw. So, I really think that uh, philosophy gets behind that. Um, and so, if we're going to use that, I think that we need to look at scripture, just like Matt said, and look at, you know, how did people who wrote these books use the world around them to reason with the world around them? Sure, you say this, I disagree with it, but let's follow your train of thought and see where it leads. Mm-hmm. I want to show you why it's wrong, not just tell you that it's wrong and what I believe. That's just argument, right? But in order to actually debate and reason with somebody, I think that you have to have more than that. Yeah. And not even necessarily going out of your way to say, I'm going to explain to you why you're wrong. Just present the truth. And exactly. if Let them they desire truth, they're just going to come to you. Well, no, I mean, absolutely. That's, you, that's the better way to say what I said, absolutely. Yeah, I, I, I mean, you hear all the times. I mean, trees, trees is, Jesus Treesus is the, the the Middle Earth tree ant <laughs> version of Jesus. But Jesus, I mean, yeah, he does talk a lot of philosophical answers. I am the way, the truth, and the life. Mm-hmm. No one can come to the Father except by me. You know, if you, what, what is it? To, you know, the truth will set you free. Uh, and in this case, you, we see one of the two major questions, and we'll, we'll tackle these here in a, in a minute, but two of the major questions that we as Christians that we think about, that we should be thinking about, that are philosophical in nature, who is God? Mm-hmm. What does he do? And who are we? Mm-hmm. And what should we do to respond to, to that God if he exists? Yeah. So let, let's talk about some of the uh, – I want let's, let's, let's talk about some questions that elicit extensive conversations with different ideas of God. This is more of a broad spectrum of philosophical questions. Uh, one of the questions is, does God exist? And this should be a question that – Every, everybody should be asking themselves, does God exist? And that's one thing. I want to have a conversation about with Adam Holloway about this, with this answer because Adam Holloway says there's no such thing as an atheist, that they have to tackle that conversation. And I'm like, that's interesting that those that claim to be an atheist technically will, are not atheist. Like they're trying to use, and I'm, and I'm kind of curious where he comes from that, but I, like, I almost want to agree with him, but I, don't, I can't see the logic behind that almost. But does God exist? What do you all think? I mean, I know the answer. Hopefully. Sure. But I'm going to tell you my favorite answer that I've ever heard. Uh, does God exist? Evidently, yes. That's my favorite answer to that. <laughs> Evidently. That, that's my favorite answer that I've yeah. ever heard to that question. I, I, I wish I could remember where I heard it. So that's, that's not John Duncan's profound thought there. Um, I'm, I'm definitely robbing. But uh, evidently, yeah. You know, <laughs> like if, if you ask me, hey, did you break your toe and it's off to the, you know, a total right angle? Well, psh- Shoot. Evidently, yeah, sure. No, does God exist? Evidently, yes. I think that it has to be exactly that way. We have to have evidenced reason for it. We can't just blindly adhere to it, even though that's a good thing and it's coming from a good intention. That faith only lasts so long. Mm-hmm. I mean, faith is something that God gives you, okay? So ultimately, yes, your salvation comes from the Lord. I think that Scripture says that it has to, but that's tangential and theological. From a philosophical standpoint, we have evidence, we have reason, we have observation that backs our belief or that produces, in my case, produced my belief or reproduced my belief in God. I had like a cerebral-like, or rather, I had this emotional adherence to I want to believe in God because I want, to, I want this to be true. 
And then I got from, I want this to be true to, man, I wish this was true. And that's a terrifying place to be. Mm-hmm. I feel like, man, I just, <laughs> I, I wish all this were true. My life would be so much easier. I would have so much more hope. I would have so much more faith. I would have so much more, uh, you know, a uh, uh, problem-solving abilities, and, and I, I have much easier time reconciling my worldview. I just wish this was real. I mean, that's that's where you get to when you just blindly adhere to the things that you've heard your entire yeah. life. They're good things. They're great things. They're the things that I'm going to pass down to my children. Okay, but I'm additionally going to pass down why. Yeah. Evidently, yes, there is a God. And I think that uh, I'm not going to jump the gun because I think you're going to ask more specific questions about what are those reasons. Yeah, I was, um, was going to. So I'm not going to yeah. get into that right now. Uh, I'm going to wait until the, the proper time to segue that. Yeah. But uh, that's that's my favorite answer to the question. Did you have answer that question? Or? I mean, yeah, it's not nearly as interesting. Because, <laughs> John, I love that. I love the problem that you had. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Like, no, no, for sure. I, I think a lot of people are there, and they're just not honest enough with themselves to confess it. Yeah. I think that's the problem because it gets you totally shadow banned, if you wanted to use that modern term, in the, yeah. in the church, right? Yeah. Oh, man, well, this guy's grappling with everything. He must be an apostate. Or, oh, man, this guy's a, he must be slipping off into drugs. I don't know. Like, who are his <laughs> friends? And, like, it, it, we're, we're not honest about the ways yes. that we grapple. Or we try and stuff him down and just read more word and just pray more. And those are good things, right? Again, I'm not saying any of this is wrong. I'm saying it's totally incomplete that if you're struggling with this, you're not additionally trying to solve the problem by attacking the thing that you're struggling with. You're trying to replace it with a different thing, right? It's a square peg round hole situation. If I'm struggling with what does my philosophical train of thought lead to, right? I hope this is real. I wish this was real. That's a systematic loophole that I got down to, and it led to depravity. It led to hopelessness. It led to away from Christness. And if that's the problem, is my, my system, the system in which I'm believing, that I have to attack that. I can't just replace it with, with more hope, with more faith, with more wise counsel. I've got to actually try and think about these things well and reform my thought, reform my basis for it, and my interpretation for the environment that I'm in. Let me give you an uh, analogy uh, of my past life. Is that I remember in high school, you know, I was a heavy dude in high school. You know, I weighed about 250, 260, you know. Oh, it was huge. It was huge, fatty. Absolute <laughs> unit. I mean, I was, a li- I was a lineman in high school in football, and, you know, my diet was basically chocolate milk and peanut butter and jelly sandwiches, you know. So, I mean, man. yeah, that was my diet. But then after I graduated high school, obviously I'm not going to college and play ball. And so then I decided, like, I'm, I've got a girl that I'm about to, that I want to marry in the future, and I'm, I don't want to be big, so I'm going to make a change here, and try to reevaluate, like, am I going to stay this way forever or whatever? And then I started, you know, eating right and doing the right things and running and exercising, and like I went down to like 195, and I was healthy, healthy. And I remember one time my mom asked me, she pulled me aside, I was like, are you doing drugs? Like, why are you losing so much weight? And I'm like, what? Whenever there's a change, people always assume it's negative, right? Yeah, yeah. yeah, and, yeah. and it's just like, yeah, your pupils, they're, they're constricted, so I'm just concerned. <laughs> I love you, Mom. I love you, Mom. But no, and, and that's the thing. Like, I think that the church, sometimes they see that there's a change or right. we question, no, yeah, yeah. is this how I believe or is this something that I need to kind of struggle with and deal with? Yeah. And we're automatically placed uh, with animosity and we're automatically attacked and saying, well, you're just not a, you're not a firm believer. Your faith is wavering. It's like, no, I want to challenge my belief. I saw a meme one time. It was, you know, I can't remember. I'll, I'll post it later. Maybe it was like scripture right here, you know, and then someone was trying to punch somebody and then it was automatically stopped by, you know, catechisms and, you know, old, you know, old church beliefs and, mm-hmm. and stuff like that. I'm thinking, well, no, sometimes I need to look at scripture and like, is this the truth or is this, 
something that I've always believed in, in my life. Right. And so well, the thing I want to kind of talk about with the, the question, of, does God exist? And there's some, there's a lot of arguments. Oh, yeah. A, a lot of uh, schools of thought when does God exist? And some of them are with, you know, the Big Bang, with the conversation of love and, and the free will, the fine-tuning theory, the intelligent design, the moral argument law, the ontological law. Yeah. Uh, so... I don't know much. I mean, I know Matthew, and I don't know if you've studied much on the philosophical side of this, but like, what are y'all's? Give me one that you would like to talk about a little bit. We're like I said, we're not going to solve this in one day because people have been talking about it for thousands of years. But like, what is the best evidential evidence argument, evidential argument for the existence of God? Because if you're coming from the point of view that like God doesn't exist that it's a ridiculous thing to believe that this God created everything and we're supposed to follow him and give him glory because he made us and we owe that to him. The only thing more ridiculous than that notion is that it's all by accident. Yeah. Like, that's literally the only explanation that makes less sense than that. Yeah, yeah. no, uh, I agree. Because let that also serve as my answer to the question that you didn't let me do, Tanner. Oh, like, my whole life is <laughs> gone real. Because that, that's where I where I was at, and I've been very fortunate that I've never had a a season in my life that I doubted God. Hmm. But I did have that period of time of like, but how do I explain it? Why do I hmm. believe what I believe? That that yeah. that was my yeah. struggle. Like, no, that's good too. I yeah. agree. Yeah, because I think I a lot of people real, are there too. Yeah, because I had that realization of like I was indoctrinated from birth to believe these things because mm. it's in the Bible and the Bible is truth. Therefore, I should believe it. Yeah. But how do I take it further? And ve- and I was very blessed to not have that option pop up in my mind of maybe it's wrong. Instead, I was sitting there thinking, okay, let's figure out why this is right. Sure. Yeah. <laughs> so that that's where I came from. So my my take on it, is there god well obviously because the idea that there isn't is the dumbest thing i've ever heard right <laughs> and we talked about it in uh the the creation uh conversation of like the big bang yeah yes uh, there was a big bang the thing is though is that christians hate that word because now it's associated with Darwin, darwinistic evolution it's like obviously there was a big bang i mean it, it exists but yet people yeah. automatically say well no, no, that's scary. Yeah. One of the most hilarious, the... yeah. One of the most hilarious answers I've ever heard of that is, uh, you know, was there a big bang? And they're like, well, when God spoke and immediately there was light, don't you think that it was probably bang worthy? Like, don't you think that, that was just <laughs> the biggest bang there ever was? <clears throat> like, boom, you know. Like, yeah. uh, it, again, I, I think where you're coming from is these two thoughts are not mutually exclusive, right? There's not mm. a non-compete argument against those. Yes, they they can definitely meld. Um, for me. Uh, I think that, you know, there, there's definitely six extremely strong extra-biblical reasonings for the existence of God. You know, you, you referenced, I think, a lot of them. My favorite one to talk about is the ontological. Oh, I love that one. But uh, I actually, I should kind of hate it. I think it's insufficient. Tell me what that word um, means, please. No, yeah, yeah, you're good. So ontology is the study of knowledge, right? So that's, it's like almost philosophy, but it's not. Um, so ontology uh, is the study of knowledge. So when we're talking about uh, the ontological argument, basically. I can frame it up real quick and dirty. Uh, it's actually a lot bigger than this, but I don't want to spend a lot of time on it because, again, I don't think that Don't get into the multiverse. I don't, no, 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 of course not. I don't think it's good enough. So the ontological argument is if God could exist, then he necessarily does exist because what is a God, right? If a God could exist, let's just go with that. So an agnostic saying, well, he could be up there. I don't know, right? That's an agnostic. So if God could exist, then... Well, let's define what a God is. A God is a maximally great being, right? That's what it takes to be God. So you're maximally great at being 
whatever God is, about being eternal, about being moral, about being powerful, all-seeing, uh, etc. The attributes of God go on and on. So if these things are possible, then it's possible for a being to exist that has all those maximally great things. And so then it's therefore necessary, right? Something has to fill that vacuum, and it's not us. And if there's a being above and behind us, as C.S. Lewis says, and this is what I'm about to get into with the morality argument, but if there's a being above and behind us, uh, something that's greater than us and that preceded us, then necessarily it has to be God. And if it has to be God, then it has to be maximally great. And so if you look at a maximally great God, you get to theism. It doesn't get you to Christianity, but it gets you to theism. Yeah. Um, so that's a quick and dirty on the ontological argument. There are definitely better articulations of that than I just gave. But <laughs> well, it, I actually don't love that argument because, uh, again, I think it only gets you to theism. I don't think it gets you to Christianity. And frankly, it only gets you halfway to theism because you also have to affirm uh, – other positive reasons for the existence of God, not just that it well, by default has to happen. You have well, to positively C.S. Lewis, well. Lewis, if you read his biography, uh, autobiography, he basically, and this is a you know famous quote by him, he says, basically, I was the most reluctant convert in mm. all of England. Yeah. And so he, he weighed a lot of these questions of morality yeah. in a mere Christianity, and he weighs these conversations of, you know, I'm sure he, ontological argument, and he's like, like I have to believe because this is I'm, I may be reluctant to this, yeah. Uh, to, to to convert to theism, right? Uh, but it's there. The evidence yeah. is there. Right. Exactly. So to answer your question about why, you know, why do we believe in God? What are the reasons that we talk about? Right. When I say evidently yes, what am I talking about? The one that was most compelling to me and that I like to talk about the most is the moral argument for the existence of yeah. God. Um, it's the one that I struggled with the most. Uh, if God, why evil? Uh, so what are morals? Like basic, this is listener Lex. I mean, basic philosophy, what are morals? Morals are things that we uh, affirm about what we believe. That's a vague definition, I think. I don't have a great definition for morals, but like, mm. what do you believe should happen? That, that's the weird thing about humanity is, I think that other forms of creation, right? Deer, raccoons, dolphins, whatever, can recognize what is, but they don't recognize what ought. Okay, so there's the problem of what ought or what should be, and humans have that. I think it's special to humans. Regardless of if it's special to us or not, it definitely implies uh, the existence of God, and it kind of goes like this. Mm -hmm. So we all have a form of morality, right? We all know the difference between right and wrong. That's what most of us mean when we say morality. I think it's pretty sufficient yeah. for this conversation. Yeah. Um, we all understand the difference between right and wrong. If you look at this anthropologically, right, the history of humanity has all believed that there is a difference between right and wrong. We all adhere to one standard or another for the difference between killing someone in self-defense and murder, right? The difference between you accidentally tripped over my foot and I tripped you because I hate you. There's, there's differences between those things, even though the outcomes are the same, right? So morality is not practical. It's definitely an idea. It's a compulsion. It's visceral. It's, it's within us. And in addition to that, I argue that it's universal, and that's what gets us to the existence of God. It kind of goes like this. So if morality is in all of us, all right, um, which we would all agree with, even the secularists. Knowing the difference between right and wrong. Exactly. Knowing the difference between right and wrong is universal. There's no other conclusion you can come to if you study humanity. Uh, the Mayans believed that there was a difference between right and wrong. So did the Egyptians. So did the Jews. So did the Native Americans. What about Hitler? Et cetera. Yeah, absolutely. He believed it was right to uh, you know, exterminate the Jews. His morality was wrong. All right, his morality was totally depraved. It was it was damned, but he had morality. He just misused it, right? Uh, he had a perversion of it. Um, but morality is universal, and 
systematically, again, to use that word, like we get to this train of thought where if morality is, I'm going to use some assumptions here and not explain everything for time's sake. Um, if morality is universal, then it had to come from somewhere that's not us, right? If it was just societally implied and we all just chose to agree on what was right and wrong and it came from us, then first of all, it would likely change from generation to generation. How we apply morals changes from generation to generation. We value different things now than we used to, but values and morals are different. Okay, values are what you find important. Morality is just the, the difference between right and wrong, straight up, straight up and down. We all agree that there are some things that are right and that there are some things that are wrong. Morality in general has been universal throughout the entire course of human history. We've all understood what rape, murder, theft all looked like, what fidelity looked like, what generosity looked like, uh, what selfishness looked like. We all know what those things are and loosely define them probably about the same throughout the entire course of but humanity. But it's applied differently throughout uh, generations. It's applied with different consequences, but I yeah. don't know that it's okay. necessarily even applied differently throughout generations because here's the thing. We all have the same idea to punish these bad things that happen. We all have the same idea to reinforce these good things that happen. And we all have guilt when these things don't line up. Okay, So that gets us to this next point where if we have morality and we have a sense of right and wrong and we're all routinely breaking this law. One thing that I love that C.S. Lewis wrote, he says, why create this rule for ourselves which we cannot follow? Right? If society was, was it the straight line conversation? For, uh, I'm not sure that I know what you mean. Well, he says that how do we know that a straight line, uh, how, long, how do we know that a line is straight? Well, yeah, 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 I'm getting there. So uh, it appeals to a standard, right? Okay. So that's the next step. But um, to say so, uh, he says, why create this rule for ourselves which we cannot follow, right? If morality were societally determined, um, if we came up with it for ourselves, why not construct a set of laws that we could all follow? It'd be great, right? We would succeed. We all want the easy way out. I mean, you and I both know that. We want to, you know, the temptation is to be lazy and get away with a minimal job or to take shortcuts or, you know, yada, yada, yada. We all want the easy way out. We always have, right? But we all sense that we're not doing enough. We're not doing well enough. Why is that? It has to be because whatever has given us, and I use that term intentionally, morality, right? Because I believe it's transcendent if it's universal. Mm -hmm. That's my next point is if morality is universal, then it has to be transcendent. In order for it to be transcendent, it had to come from something that is transcendent. Can you um, define transcendent very quickly? Yes, uh, outside of man. Okay. So not necessarily in the sense that a mountain is outside of man or that a starry night is outside of man. What I mean by outside of man is outside of our comprehension, outside of our train of thought, outside of our uh, ordinary creation material experience. So um, by being transcendent, morality has this... Uh, attachment to it where, again, if we create this rule for ourselves, which again, we don't, which we cannot follow, that appeals to this. And, and let me just go ahead and quote something um, from Mere Christianity. This is a really old book that I have, and it's all tatted up. I've written all over it. Um, he, he says this in summary, and then I'll explain his points. It says, it is after you've realized that there is a real moral law, right? That's what we talked about. Universally, we all affirm basically the same things as right and wrong, as societies go. Individuals have different opinions. It is after you've realized that there is a real moral law and a power behind the law that you have both broken that law and put yourself at wrong with that power. It is after all of this and not a moment sooner that Christianity begins to talk. Okay, that's a really powerful statement uh, for me. Um, not only do you realize that there's a law, you realize that you're at odds with the law. And if you realize that not only is there a law, but that there's a law giver, not only are you at odds with the law, you're at odds with the law giver. 
okay? So we all have this sense of guilt when we do something that's wrong. And it's not just because we are afraid we're going to get busted. Like, we can do something and get away with it and nobody ever know and we still feel guilty for it. You know, even secularists will. Even non-theists or atheists or agnostics will. We all have this sense of guilt. And I think it's because morality is transcendent. It's universal. And if that's the case, again, we're attacking this systematically, just like Paul did in cha uh, chapter 15 of uh, 1 Corinthians. He says, if this, then this, then this, right? If we all sense that there is a difference between right and wrong, given the same outcomes, right? Murder versus self-defense uh, killing, or I intentionally trip you versus you happen to trip uh, over my foot. The same outcome happens, but there are different intents behind it. Yeah. We all know that there are different things, right? So there is morality in that. It's universal. If it's universal, it could not have come from us. Therefore, it's transcendent. If it didn't come from us, it had to come from something if it came from something that's transcendent, that is good enough to give us a moral law of right and wrong, it had to have been a god. And that's what gets us to Christianity. See, I think the moral argument is so powerful because uh, in my notes that y'all have, like some of the existential things outside of Christianity is already tackled upon. Like, do I, like one of the atheistic arguments is like, I don't need God mm -hmm. to be a good person. And by the moral argument, you're exactly right. Yeah. By the law that's been implanted upon me that God has implanted upon all of humanity, then I should know the difference between right and wrong even if I don't believe in God or if I don't believe in Scripture because that proves to me that there is something outside transcendent, yeah. outside of myself that is being implanted of right and wrong. And another one that, that I put on here is like, can objective uh, truth be known? And I think that the moral argument gives objective truth Absolutely. of like, yeah, it's wrong to rape a five-year-old and then kill it. You know, and it's, it's, there's certain truths within all of humanity that have, have applied that in, in different ways, but yet that they're there. The objective truth is there. Like Hitler conversation, like a lot of, I think a lot of atheists, they say, well, what about Hitler? And the moral argument there is like, you're exactly right. Mm -hmm. But in his eyes, he was doing what was good, what was right in his eyes to protect his society to protect his people because you know he blamed the Jews for the destruction and for the the the, the collapse economical collapse of World War One into the present time of that era, and so he automatically assumed or he thought he assumed oh it's the Jews' fault. So to protect something that I love such as my countrymen, I'm going to kill all the Jews. It was distorted because of let's use a Christian Christianese word, word here sin. Yeah. Sin corrupts the morality that is implanted upon us. Yeah. So, I mean, we can, what we need to do with these people that have these conversations, the moral argument, that you can easily transition into, okay, we got that. There's a reason why it's distorted. Yeah. And then you can lead into the conversation of like, okay, let's, that, that's, let's listen to who God is. This is who I am. How do we respond to a God with a moral argument and that there's sin involved that corrupts this yeah. moral objective truth hmm. behind it? And talking about that concept of truth, we were talking at the the very beginning of the episode, talking about the, the capital T truth, and we were talking about Paul. Mm -hmm. So I'd like to bring him up again uh, right quick in Acts chapter 17, verses 16 through 21. I was looking at it. Now. Okay. It says, Now while Paul was waiting for them in, at Athens, his spirit was provoked within him as he saw the city was full of idols. So he reasoned in the synagogue with the Jews, important word there, reasoned, mm -hmm. and the devout persons, and in the marketplace every day with those who happened to be there. 
Some of the Epicurean and Stoic philosophers also conversed with him, and some said, What does this babbler wish to say? Others said, He seems to be a preacher of foreign divinities, because he was preaching Jesus in the resurrection. And they took him and brought him to the Areopagus. Areopagus, thank you very much. You're good. Saying, May we know what this new teaching is that you are presenting? For you bring some strange things to our ears. We wish to know, therefore, what these things mean. Now all the Athenians and the foreigners who lived there would spend their time in nothing except telling or hearing something new. And I'd like to skip forward a bit because obviously there's a lot of discourse taking place. Skip to verse 32 of that same chapter. It says, Now when they heard of the resurrection of the dead, some mocked, but others said, We will hear you again about this. So that comes back to that capital T truth being something that we shouldn't fear bringing into the land of the enemy. I'm throwing some air quotes there, mm. like the areas we should be scared of, because we have truth on our side. And you can see in that uh, example, and to give a little bit of background, Epicureanism, and also y'all were throwing around the term uh, hedonism before yeah. uh, we started recording, they kind of fall in the same camp. One of the big big uh, tenets of that philosophical viewpoint is that pleasure is the goal of life, which mm -hmm. makes sense logically, because when you are feeling pleasure, you feel good. And specifically, uh, I'm speaking on behalf of Epicureanism. This might be the same with hedonism, but I haven't studied that. Mm -hmm. Epicureans believe that mental pleasure is greater mm -hmm. than physical pleasure. That yeah. physical pl pleasure is giving in to your primitive desires and therefore is lesser. So mm -hmm. they actually... Uh, spoke against marriage because they saw uh, sexual pleasure as being like a less than sort of pleasure. Mm. And of course they also wanted to get rid, they um, thought negatively of having a fear of God and death because having a fear of those two things results in a lot of displeasure, a lot of anxiety, a lot of bad feelings. And that's not the goal. You want that mental pleasure. So that's, that's top shelf stuff there, not fearing God. So think about that when Paul is talking about the resurrection, talking about God, but since he is wielding that capital T truth, even these people that at the core tent of their philosophy are like, eh, I don't want to think about God because that makes me feel bad. It doesn't bring me pleasure and the pleasure is the goal mm -hmm. of life. Even they responded like, okay, this logically makes sense. Yep. There is truth to this. That truth is something we will. We are the only people on the planet that have an objective truth. And it is here in black, white, and red, that objective capital T, truth. I, I can't get tired of saying that phrase, yeah. capital T, truth, yeah. because it's such a wonderful thing for us no, to I think have. It's, I think it's very relevant. Yeah. I agree. Um, one thing that I get uh, frustrated with in current, and, and again, this is not a, a new profound thought. These are things that current apologists and Christian philosophers are grappling with, uh, things that are really being talked about right now. Right now, we're in kind of this postmodern era of philosophy, right? You hear about postmodernism and what it is. Um, so just a brief history on some of that. You had pre-modern philosophy, modern philosophy, and post-modern philosophy. To describe those terms really quickly without dates, because again, I, th I think that people across the span of humanity, across all of time, have thought about things typically a little bit differently um, as far as their philosophy goes. Again, not according to their morality, but according to their philosophy and how they choose to think about their morality. They think about it these three ways, but I think that these three ways have, have kind of surged or risen or become more in vogue uh, in different times in human history. Pre-modern um, was obviously uh, a little bit first, and that was more the esoteric teaching, which is what Jesus did a lot of. That's basically saying uh, you're using a lot of hyperbole, a lot of metaphor, uh, a lot of descriptive, non-descriptive talk. Um, so your speech is thought-provoking and a little bit difficult to understand at first, but it's because it's provoking you to thought. 
Um, so that would be more like pre-modern philosophical uh, way of thinking. Um, modern philosophical thinking, um, which is not the era that we're in right now, this preceded us, was more of the cut and dry Western scientific method type uh, of thinking where, well, I see this and that means this and that means this and that means this, right? There are good things to be derived from all of these things. I'm not bashing them. I'm just trying to intentionally, I guess, be a little bit reductive here. Postmodern is, well, Sure, uh, we used to think of these things as straightforward and true, but but are they really? Um, and so it came from an honest place, probably of you know deconstruction, uh, and again the good term of deconstruction, not the the bad and overused one now. Um, but it's led to a lot of shady places, right? It's led to a lot of well, truth is relative, and what's true for you is true for you. What's true for me is true for me. Um, a lot of terrible, terrible places that have infected the church, uh, that have infected individual Christians and cause them to totally doubt their faith. Man, well, shoot, I guess you're right. What if this isn't all true? <laughs> you know, uh, Again, places where I got, right? Because we're living in a postmodern era. Um, the gripe that I have most with postmodernism is this thing that we're talking about right now. Is truth objective? Can it be known? Can it be grasped? Absolutely yes. A thousand times yes. That's the only way for us to have truth is for it to be objective. Because here's the thing. When you say the phrase, what's true for you is true for you, but what's true for me is true for me. You're making truth relative. And either that statement is true or false. That's my favorite rebuttal to that. Uh, William Lane Craig uh, had a student say that to him once at a conference. Well, right, but that's something that's true for you. And what's true for me is different. He said, right, either that statement is true or false. <laughs> Which basically implies, right, that there's a standard above and beyond your statement. Is your statement true? And let's follow these things out, right? He does this systematically. It's hilarious to watch. But uh, but it, it's, it's damning, too, because I'm like, man, I've, I've thought that way before, like, Shame on me, right? Um, let's follow this thing out. If, if truth is relative and what's true for you is true for you, what's true for me is true for me, let's follow this out. So let's say your statement's true. If it's true that truth is relative, then it has to be false. Okay, like it, this is a bit of a mind bender here, but like stick with me. So if it's true that truth is relative, then that statement's false because there's no truth, right? It's all relative anyways. So there is no truth. Now we're talking about something a, a different, and this is what I think postmodernists get wrong. We're talking about opinion, at this point, we're no longer talking about truth. Yeah. We're talking about interpretation. We're no longer talking about truth. What your interpretation is is different than my interpretation. I agree with that statement. You're using the wrong vocabulary. You're amalgamating truth onto something that is definitely subjective, that is definitely individual, which is not wrong to have those individual feelings, but let's call it what it is. It's an opinion. That's where, we're like, where we get to today in the progressive Christianity camp. Exactly. Of like they, they basically deny that Jesus is truth. That exactly. Like, well, this doesn't make any logical sense. So my truth is the truth. We misunderstand our identity because our identity is by our subjective truth, it seems like. Yeah. Our relativeness of who we are. And so this is where like the conversation of, and we're not going to get into this at all, but like transgenderism and right. the identity of sex and gender. is like, well, I feel like I'm a girl, so I must be a girl. That's my truth. Right. But what is truth? Right, exactly. I'm sorry, but I have a penis. The objective truth, the reality of it is that I'm a dude, you know? Yeah. And so there has to be a, a, a standard, a line that I'm basing my truth off of. Exactly. And so that's where yeah. postmodernism is really coming full head to mm -hmm. our reality. Absolutely. This is These are concepts that we are talking about that are meeting the road. That it, it, There's heavy implications and heaviness behind them. Yeah. Uh, and you see it all throughout the church. You see it all within our community. You see it all within our uh, uh, our society. And there was a uh, anthropologist that said once a, and I'm, this is not a biblical anthropologist, but once she, she, she studied past 
ancient civilizations, and she saw a pattern, a trend of civilizations rising and fall, rising and fall. She said that a lot of times you see a civilization before it falls, they do not understand or their uh, sense of identity mm-hmm. is distorted. And I'm not saying that America is on the, on the verge of falling, but yet the church, once it loses the truth of the identity, you know, that you were made in the image of God, that there is a reality of a truth behind that objectiveness. Right. Then that's where I think that if, you're, if, you're, if that is being distorted, you're going to see the church fall. Yeah, because if everything is relative and opinion-driven, that only leads to divisiveness. Yes. That only leads to division, right? Because your opinion of something is different than mine. And in America, unfortunately, this sucks about Western culture, but here we go. We all want a gladiator match. Okay, that's what politics are. That's what, you know, are. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> we all want a gladiator match. We want uh, one versus the other and fight to the death. There's no, uh, and we all talk about this all the time. I mean, uh, everyone from every political stance talks about this all the time. Man, I wish we'd all just get along. Like, a difference of opinion doesn't mean I don't have to love you. Like, we say that left and right, but like, at the, at the end of the day, that's just what our culture is at right now. That's what the cultural undertone is, and that's what sucks about uh, having conversations like this about objective truth is because we we kind of want a difference of opinion man we, we just kind of want to fight to the death sometimes and it sucks and so sometimes when you say something like uh for myself i use an example like hey i'm a cessationist right i don't believe that miracles still happen more or less there are some exceptions yada 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 but like not that, the everyday average american church there's not arms being grown not, and legs being certainly not in america right um I'll, that's another episode entirely, trust me. But uh, I'm back. I'm, yeah, for sure. No, I'm having a great time. I, I promise I will. Um, so, you know, if I say that, then I'm lopped off into this one ticket item voter, right? Well, if you're a cessationist, then you're this, and then you're this, and then you're this. Because, again, we want that division. We want that uh, that gladiator match, right? And that's that, that <clears> sucks, <throat> frankly. Um, so it's hard to talk about truth. It's hard to appeal to a standard and to reason like that. Uh, without coming across as very divisive because that's the cultural undertone that we grow up in. We, we assume that because someone's disagreeing with us that they're attempting to be divisive, not that they're attempting to unify us. And that's actually what this brings us to. This has to bring us to unity because we're appealing to a standard. That's the only thing that can unite us, right? Mm-hmm. So there's actually great hope in that message. But that's what is really difficult about talking with us and other people is because they see division and they see an attack and they shut down. And that's a bummer. Um, that's why, you know, when Scripture says that Paul entered their temple and reasoned with them, yep. man, can we just have that attitude for yep. us? That'd be awesome. So that's why I love studying these things, um, because I love taking people's trains of thoughts and accepting them for just a moment so that I can think about it and say, man, but let me show you, like, why you're struggling with these thoughts that you are in your life and why your framework doesn't work, you know? Um, so that, that's, where, that's where we get to with it. So we're going to continue this conversation in the present but you listeners will have this in two weeks. Yes. So just to let you guys know that we're going to continue this conversation uh, next episode. Uh, and we're going to get into more of like, okay, we're, we're outside of the Christian camp. Now let's, let's start stepping in into the tent of Christianity and talk about more of the, the uh, reality and implications that a lot of this philosophical arguments and differences and reasoning affects the church and how can we actually use it as a tool. So until then... Just skip those smash words. Peace out. <laughs> <laughs>